Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. What's going on, folks? This is M.A. Dosher with another Nimrod Outdoors podcast, and I'm here with my wonderful wife, Chelsea. Well, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, so this one, this we are going to postpone going through uh, the book, The Hands of a Warrior, and we are going to insert a sermon that I preached at Liberty Baptist Church mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks ago. Yep. Um, and the reason why we're doing that is... The dozers are in a big transition. Yes. Tell us about it, Chelsea. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, our house is on the market. We are selling our house. We are selling our house. Yeah. It's been, an, it's been fun. Been an adventure. It's been an adventure. And, uh, and Mr. Pastor M.A. Hmm. Hmm? How's yes. That, how's that feel? Weird. Pastor May. Yeah. Um, so Liberty Baptist Church uh, approached me several months ago mm-hmm. about uh, becoming their uh, youth pastor. And we have been walking through, walking that journey, uh, talking with them, praying, talking amongst ourselves as a married couple. Yeah. And really just trying to discern what God has called us to. Um, and we feel like this is the direction God's called us to. So we are taking that step. Um, and uh, moving forward in that, uh, this church is in Carnesville, Georgia. So it is about, about an hour from where we are now. Um, but we are going to be moving out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Nimrod is not going away. Um, Liberty Baptist is a hundred percent on board with Nimrod Outdoors and what we're doing, our vision and our mission to challenge and equip men, husbands and fathers. Um, and so this is a way in which. Um, as they put it, they're just coming alongside Nimrod Outdoors to partner with us. Um, and, uh, I get the opportunity to invest in middle school and high school kids' lives and invest more importantly in their parents and raising their parents up to be the spiritual leaders of the home. Um, so it is a, um, it is something in which God whipped up because there's no way we could have imagined any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we are excited, but we are in a massive transition of selling our house, moving our family, um, and trying to get our feet underneath us there. Uh, and so we are going to take a break for the remainder of the summer. Uh, and so this podcast will uh, end our, I guess, season one of 2023. How do you say that? Season two. Season so. two. You know, semester usually one. there's there's yeah <laughs> you know like i don't know the first half of the season <laughs> yeah we're in we're in the school we're right taking now. summer break <laughs> we're taking summer break that's yes. right um so uh listeners y'all if y'all are with us uh y'all can be praying for us as we move uh, as we get through this process um there's a lot of still unanswered questions uh, that we are just waiting for the Lord to reveal those answers to. Um, and uh, as you may know, uh, if you've ever sold a house, selling a house can be stressful. Uh, you add three kids to the mix, um, and it can make it that much more stressful. So uh, just be praying for us as we continue this walk, this process. And we are just excited about what God's doing um, in the partnership with Liberty and Nimrod and figuring out 
what all that looks like and what God has planned. But mm-hmm. please know Nimrod is not going anywhere. We we look forward to continue pushing forward the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors uh, and doing trips, um, doing speaking engagements, um, and continuing to do this podcast. So, yes, and, um, and not to give away too much, but God's got some really big things coming up for Nimrod. He does, um, and that that's... Um, I can't wait to talk about it. I know. We're not there yet. It's awesome. <laughs> so buckle up, hold on, because uh, God's got some really awesome things coming up for Nimrod. Um, so anyways, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this. This is a sermon I preached at Liberty. Um, it was the first sermon I preached there for them to be able to, um, I guess, get to know me, but also yeah. uh, to uh, officially um, hire me as their youth pastor. Um, yeah. So it's got a little. It's got a lot about my testimony, but also my heart um, behind what it truly means to follow Jesus. Yes. Um, so hope y'all enjoy. Uh, we'll see you after summer. Y'all have a great summer, and uh, we'll see you this fall. Yeah. Take care. Stay humble. Stay focused. Keep pressing. Well, good morning, church. How are y'all this morning? Good. 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 Well, hey. You can always tell the lack of experience with the amount of notes someone brings up on stage. Uh, it always astounds me that Pastor David could get up here week in and week out, preach a 30-minute sermon, and all he has is a little 3 by 5 note card, and he doesn't even flip that thing over. Um, I'm up here today with a packet of notes, uh, but one thing you'll learn about me is I have to have this packet because I'm ADHD. Uh, hyperactive, um, and if I don't have these notes, I will chase every squirrel and run down every rabbit hole possible. So um, bear with me. Hopefully one day my goal would be to get to that three by five one-sided note card. Um, But let me pray uh, and we'll get started. But before we pray, if you have your Bible today, I want to let you know the two passages of Scripture we'll be in. Uh, We'll be in Mark chapter 10 and we'll also be in John chapter 11. Um, And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and mark those. Um, But let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your name. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, worship your name through song, and then hear what you have to say to us this morning. Um, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you come into this place. You open eyes, ears, hearts, souls, and minds to the goodness of who you are. And I pray that you change lives in the only way that we know you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, if you're new here or you don't know who I am, my name's M.A. Dozier. Um, I've been married to my wife, Chelsea, for 11 years this week, um, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. Uh, we have three children, Ridgely, who is seven, Matthias, who is five, and Joey Ruth, who is 17 months old. Uh, and we moved down from the mountains of North Carolina to the Elberton area roughly four years ago. It'll be four years this month. Um, and so today, I want to talk to you about passions. I feel like every single one of us have passions and God has created us with passions in order to go into his world and make a difference for his kingdom. So I have several passions, one of, one of which is deer hunting. There is nothing I enjoy more than sitting in the woods on a cold November morning, breathing in some cold air, makes your lungs burn a little bit, and watching God's creation wake up as the sun comes up, birds start chirping, a heavy frost on the ground. That's something that I am just passionate about. Another one of my passions is people's stories. I love getting to know new people. I love talking with them, asking them, hey, how long have you lived here? Where have you lived? What do you do for a living? This is all puzzle pieces I can put together that allow me to see what God has been doing in their lives. 
I'm also passionate about people understanding that they were created for a purpose. There's nothing that energizes me more than listening and watching someone step into their God-given purpose to go make a useful impact for the kingdom of Christ. Lastly, I am passionate about challenging and equipping men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders that God has called them to be. So today I want to talk about these passions of mine, but I want to give you a lens into view what I'm talking about today, and that lens is going to be the word surrender. So when I talk about this, I'm going to talk about my passions in this lens of surrenderment, and the best way I know how to do that is to share my own story, share my testimony with you guys. Um, but a little bit of a disclaimer, fair warning, uh, my family's here today, and uh, my sisters will tell you that if I begin talking about my passions, I get a little, let's see, I guess the word they would say is intense. Um, so know that if it gets a little intense, uh, I'm not mad, I'm not angry, I'm just passionate about what I'm talking about today. So I grew up in Cumming, Georgia. If you're familiar with Cumming, it's a uh, little north of Atlanta. It used to be a small town, and now it's exploded. My parents still live there. Um, and I grew up with great parents that loved me, loved my, my sisters, but also were very, very intentional with the spiritual upbringing of us. Amen. See, I grew up thinking that 6 a.m. family devotions before school was normal. I grew up thinking that parents that prayed over you each night was what every kid had. I grew up thinking that open dialogue on the theology and biblical knowledge was commonplace dinner talk, dinner time talk. But as I got into middle school and high school, I, became, I began to discover as I hung out with my friends and with their families that my, my parents did things a little bit differently. And I was blessed with parents that cared for my spiritual health. Now, see, I was a good kid. I know everybody says that, but I really was a good kid. I was taught that the only acceptable answers to my mom were yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, and please. And now as a 35-year-old man, those are still the only acceptable responses. I started school, public school, in fifth grade, and, in fifth, and from my entire schooling career, I never received a detention, ISS, OSS, or TARDI my entire schooling career. Now, we don't talk about up to fifth grade because I was homeschooled, and because of my hyperactivity, I was ushered out of the house by 9 or 10 a.m. every morning, I guess to run off some steam. But while I may have been a good kid, I struggled immensely academically. Oftentimes, my sisters would come home. We would all come home, but my sisters would come home with their report cards. Now, kids, if you're listening to me, this was back in the 1900s when you actually had a card that you brought home. Now it's all digital, right? But we had cards, and my sisters would come home and give, give their report cards to my parents, and it'd be straight A's, and maybe occasionally they would have a B. And my parents would say, hey, girls, y'all did a great job this semester, but this B, we think if you buckle down, you can, you can get that B to an A, and it would be you know, real good but you did good. I would come home, give my report card, and it would be all C's and maybe the occasional B, and my parents would jump for joy saying, hallelujah, he passed. <laughs> Let me tell you what, not all kids are created equally, but every kid has a purpose in the kingdom of Christ, and they can do mighty things and serve the kingdom in ways that we could never have imagined to bring glory to his name. So in church, I was a model kid, though, at any given moment, I could bust out the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, letters to the Romans. Memory verses, I had my memory verses. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
and John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, I know y'all do Awana here, and if you're familiar with Awana from the 90s, they used to give you this little red vest. It was called a sparky vest. And if you did memory verses, they would give you these patches that you could sew on. And um, I'd try to keep my mom as busy in her sewing room as possible. And if you think that I'm lying about my vest, I can bring it in one Sunday and show you. I still have it. So this doesn't even really matter, but I want to let you know that I also went to the Iwana Olympics. In the 90s, they had the Olympics, and myself and Lindsay Ricketson won first place three-legged race. Again, that doesn't have anything to do, it, do with anything, but I just like bragging about it. <laughs> senior year of high school, I was voted most friendly senior superlative, and I even had a girlfriend of mine break up with me saying that I was too nice. I stayed clear of all parties, all drugs, and all alcohol, and I could probably thank my deer hunting passion for that because every day after school, I'd come home, drop my backpack off, I'd go in the woods, my parents knew where I was, they knew I'd be home by dark, and they didn't ask questions. See, I was a good kid. I graduated high school and I went on to college, and in college I had three things that happened to me that would change my life forever. The first thing is, in freshman biology class, I met a super intelligent, gorgeous, red-headed soccer player. I asked her out and she said yes, and I was like, man, I'm batting a thousand for my college dating career, I'm doing pretty good. So we went on our first date and it was excellent. And I thought it was a great night. And we got, that night came to an end. And I told her, hey, I had a great time. And she said she did too. I said, when, when can we go out again? And she said, M.A. She was like, look, I had a great time. But she said, I think that we should just be friends. And man, that kind of stung a little bit. But one thing you also need to know about me is I'm stubborn, I'm hard-headed, and I don't take no very easily. And so I asked her out a second time. And she said no. So I asked her out a third time. And she said no. The fourth and the fifth attempt went the exact same way with a no. And so after that, I did a little recon and I went to a roommate and I was like, hey, what's the deal? Because this is my girl. I was like, I, I need some intel. And her roommate let me know that I was not really her type. See, her type was tall, dark, and handsome. And I don't know if y'all could tell, but I'm a little short, hairy, and hobbit. So um, I, don't, I don't think that those things matched. So I started praying that the Lord would intervene on my behalf. And finally, on the sixth time, she said yes. And I'm not sure if the angel of the Lord came down and pleaded with her, convinced her, or he just knocked her upside the head and changed her factory filter settings so I looked tall, dark, and handsome. But I'm here to tell you today, something happened. And 16 years later, I reckon her factory filter settings are still broken. Chelsea, Proverbs 31:29 says, many women have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. Thank you for being my woman. Young men, single men, find yourself a woman that will daily push you into Jesus. Married men, always seek opportunities to honor and compliment your wife in public and in private. The second thing that happened to me was I was a sophomore at Brevard College playing baseball, and uh, we had a home game against North Greenville University. And it's customary when we have a home game that someone from the home team stands in right field and kind of protects the opposing pitcher uh, as he warms up, as he stretches and begins to throw. Um, it's just a courtesy thing. And so that was me this day, and I was out there. And uh, from behind me, I heard the uh, starting pitcher say, hey, man, I got a question for you. So I turned around, and I said, what's up? He said, hey, he said, do you know Jesus? And I said, yeah, man, I love Jesus. And he said, that's awesome, man. He said, let me ask you another question. 
What have you been doing with him lately? And so I was kind of taken aback by the question. I didn't know exactly how to answer it. And so in my mind, I was mulling through answers like, well, I'm a good kid. I do my devotions every so often. I read my Bible every so often. I pray. I said, people know that I'm a Christian, but nothing really came out of my mouth. And I think he could see that. And so he, he kind of continued the conversation. And he said this. He said, see, God gave me the gift to throw this baseball so I could tell more people about Jesus and help build his kingdom. That young, young man's name was Walter. And that conversation ran through my head for weeks. Something was there, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. Now, I'm going to jump forward about six months, and we're going to come back to this conversation with Walter here in a minute. But the third instance that occurred was I was home for the summer. I was working for my dad. My dad was an interstate batteries distributor out of Atlanta, so I was running a route truck through, the, through Atlanta in the summer heat delivering automotive batteries. Um, also, my home church was seeking a youth pastor at the time, so they had an interim youth pastor by the name of David Isbell. And one Wednesday night, David spoke, and I'll be honest with you, I can't tell you what he spoke on, but he spoke, this one verse came up, and it pricked my heart. Now, I've grown up in the church my whole life. This was not a new verse to me, but for some reason that night, something pricked my heart. And it was the verse in John 14, verse 6, and Jesus is speaking, and he says, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, this verse pricked my heart. The next morning, I got up and I went to work. And when I got to the warehouse in downtown Decatur, I went in my dad's office. I got a post-it note, and I wrote John 14, 6 on it, wrote the whole verse out. I put it on the steering wheel of my route truck, and I went to work that day. And every opportunity I got, I read that verse, John 14, 6, for I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I probably read that verse a thousand times that day, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. And then at an intersection on that hot summer day in Atlanta, the Holy Spirit came into that truck, opened my eyes, and revealed the trueness of my heart to me. See, my whole life up until this point, I had lived a good Christian life. I had tried my best to live a life worthy of heaven. But in that moment, what the Holy Spirit revealed to me and what I realized was that Jesus did not die on the cross so that I could go to heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that I could be in relationship with the Father, so that my soul could be in communion with the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. See, my focus was in the wrong place. All I wanted was heaven, but what I should have wanted was Jesus. Heaven itself had become an idol in my life. Think about that for a minute. Something as good as heaven becoming an idol. Now, this is a sermon for another day, but I think one of the greatest issues we have inside the church today, in the American church today, is our sin of idolatry. I'm going to ask you a few questions and we'll move on, but why do you claim the name of Christ? Is it to attain something like heaven? Is it for the blessings, the notoriety, a good name, recognition, influence, power, prestige? Or do you claim his name because you want him and him alone? See, God is a jealous God, and he will not share an inch of his throne with anything or anyone. So now this conversation from Walter six months earlier came flooding back to me. You see, Walter had found his purpose. Walter did not just want to be an occupant of heaven. Walter wanted to be a participant in the works of heaven. And up until this point, I was just satisfied in being an occupant. 
of heaven. You see, now I had to wrestle with my own faith. I could no longer chase the coattails of my parents. I had to make my faith my own. See, my parents had given me all the tools and built a great foundation for me biblically, but now it was up to me to build my personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you are here today where I was, a good Christian. Maybe your whole life you have come and sat in a row and done the good Christian thing. James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 2.19, you believe in God, good for you, for even the demons believe and shudder. Any good wartime leader, any good military general spends countless hours getting to know their opponent. They know his strengths, the weaknesses. They know the likes, the dislikes, where they go on certain times of the day and where they stay at certain times of the day. They know what their opponent is capable of. And the devil is no different. So if the devil is no different, and the scriptures say that even the demons believe in God and shudder, then I have to come to the conclusion that the demons even believe in the power of Christ. They believe that he was born of a virgin. They believe that he lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. The demons even believe that he died and rose again, holding the keys to death, hell, and our salvation in his hands. When I looked at what they believe, I was like reading a list of what I believed. So where is our faith different? See, God does not just ask us to believe in what he has done and who he is. He asks us to put our faith into action. See, our Christian culture today, we stand inside the gates of heaven and we shake our fists at the world and we point at the world and say, this is where you're wrong. This is what you're doing wrong. Those are occupants of heaven. The participants of heaven go outside the gates, go into the world, and make a difference. See, I want to raise my kids to be participants. I want them to be warriors for the kingdom of Christ. I don't want them to sit idly by. I want them to charge full in into the darkness depths of this world with the love of Jesus in their mouth and the word of God in their hands, searching for people to introduce to the Savior so that he can pull them out of the hopeless despair of this world and bring them back into the light. Dads, this is my passion right here. Dads, it is our responsibility to raise our kids and provide for them spiritually. We are always responsible. Our job does not end when they turn 18. Just because they are out of the house does not mean our spiritual responsibility ends. Our financial responsibility may be over, but the spiritual responsibility of a father never ends. I'm so thankful God did not just pursue me to the point of salvation and then say, all right, go on your way. I'll see you when you get here. No, he daily pushes into me. He's daily molding me into the image of Christ. Should we not be doing the same for our own children? Parents, do not be fooled because the devil is crafty. There are a lot of well-behaved, church-attending kids that are destined to hell unless we truly tell them and show them what it means to follow Jesus we need to raise participants, not just occupants of heaven. I want to share some church stats with you that will help bring this along. On average, 69% of U.S. adults were members in a church from 1998 to 2000, compared to 52% in 2016 to 2018. So in an 18-year period, roughly between 2000 and 2018, we saw a 17% decline. A poll in December of 2019, right before the COVID pandemic, states less than 34% of Americans 
attend a church on a regular basis. In roughly one year, we lost 18%. Post-COVID, church analytics now say that a regular attender is someone who attends church just one Sunday a month. Less than 13% of the millennial generation are active in a church. And as you've heard Pastor David say many times, we are now living in an age in which nine out of 10 high school graduates that are in the church will leave and never return. Now you may ask, why are the numbers declining so rapidly? You may say, well, they took God out of schools or this political thing over here or this political thing over there. Or you may say, well, our culture just doesn't want anything to do with church or God anymore. So what? Those are just excuses. It is time the church quit blaming the world for the failures of the church and we as a church step up and take ownership of our own failures. These numbers represent the failure of discipleship inside the American church. And the foundation of discipleship is found inside our homes, around our dinner tables, doing life with the ones we call our children. See, I firmly believe that it is because the church has bought the lie that all we have to be is occupants of heaven rather than participants in the work of heaven. See, we walk in here every Sunday, we sit down, we listen to a message, we check a box, we go eat, we come back, and we repeat. How do we expect the world to come in here and hear the message of salvation if we're not willing to go into the world and make a difference? We are called to be a city on a hill, salt of the world, light in the world. Are we doing this? These numbers say we are not. But see, to become a participant of heaven, you must first surrender to the authority and leadership of heaven. When you give your life to Christ, he does not just say, I want your verbal commitment. He asks for it all. So I'm going to list a few things, and I want you to ask yourself as I list these, do I own this, or does God own this? Your heart your soul, your mind, your house, your family, your marriage, your finances, your hobbies, your toys, your time, your decisions. And lastly, I'm preaching to myself on this one, your expectations. See, to become a participant of heaven, you must surrender it all to him to be used for his glory. We're going to dive into Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And this is the account of Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler, or some versions say the rich young man. We're going to read through this. And starting in verse 17, and it says, And when he was gone forth, when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running. And kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered him and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at this saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. 
Now I want to step aside for just a second and I want to focus on how Jesus responded to this man. In verse, verse 21 it says, Beholding him, he loved him. Notice that it didn't say that he scolded him or that he pointed out his sin or that Jesus even rebuked him. It says that he loved him. And then he provided him with absolute truth. To inherit eternal life, you must follow me. If we're going to go into this world like Jesus, we have to learn how to love. How can we share the life-changing truth of the gospel and expect people to receive it if all we ever do is walk into this world with fist up, ready to fight? See, the rich young ruler just wanted to be an occupant of heaven. How must I inherit eternal life? Jesus wanted to turn him into a participant of heaven, and he said, come follow me. He only had to surrender and follow Jesus. Now, you may be sitting here, and you may say, okay, I'm willing to surrender it all. And God may say, hey, that's great. Keep it. Use it for my glory. But he may also say, sell it all and come follow me. See, about five years ago, I began wrestling with God. I began, I began feeling him tell me that we needed to sell our house. I didn't understand. I was confused. I was comfortable where I was. I had a great job. I had a great house. I had a wife with two kids. Life was great. And I remember telling Chelsea when we had bought that house seven years earlier that I was never going to leave. I loved the mountains. This was my house. At that time, I didn't know the whole plan. All I knew was that God was impressing on me to sell our home. After a few months, I shared with Chelsea what I thought God was sharing with me. She was confused. She didn't understand. And of course, over the next few weeks, we began to discuss what God was asking us to do and trying to understand what he was calling us to. You see, in 2014, we had started the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors to challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home, and we were traveling all over to accommodate the needs of the ministry. We had had many discussions on what it would look like to pursue the ministry full-time, but we just couldn't put the puzzle pieces together. So when God was telling us to sell our home, we began searching locally in the mountains in order to get debt-free. We thought that this was what God was calling us to do. If we could get debt-free, maybe one of us could step away from a full-time job and we could begin focusing more and more on the ministry. We came to the point of surrendering our home. We were willing to do that. And so we began to look locally to be fully committed to the ministry, but without knowing it, we were still clinging on to comfort. We began to focus on homes that would give us financial freedom, but God began to place people and conversations in our lives that would open our eyes to what we were still trying to control, like comfort of community, the familiarity of relationships, the comfort of security, the comfort of financial cushion. These conversations and these people began a rather quick process in the Dozier's life that directed us to Elberton, Georgia where the Lord showed us a home that allowed us to do every aspect of the ministry that he had called us to do from one place. But let me tell you something. Surrendering is not easy. We face many challenges and oppositions. You see, we had no jobs lined up. We hadn't even put our house on the market in North Carolina. We were under contract in the house down here in Elberton, and we did not have the money to buy this house. But we knew God was telling us to go. When we announced to our friends and family we were moving, we had comments like, are you sure it's God telling you to go and not the devil? 
And are you, you're leaving for a better job, right? Or you must be moving closer to family. Or even this one. It's going to be lucrative enough, right? But in reality, we had no jobs lined up. We were leaving all of Chelsea's family. And we didn't know anyone or have any idea what was to be had once we got down here. Doubt is a major tool of the devil. I cannot describe to you how fearful I was. As we packed the last load in the car, Chelsea and I walked through our home one last time, and we found ourselves sitting in an empty dining room floor weeping. Doubt began to creep in. When we did arrive, it took me over six weeks to find a job. It was hotter than Hades, and then you add COVID a few months later to delay every deadline we had planned for the ministry and its projects. My expectations, let me say that again, my expectations were not being met. And even as recently as the end of January, early February of this year, we questioned if God actually called us down here and called us to do what we're doing. As things around us began to not go the way we thought it should, when circumstances in life got hard, when things seemed to be falling apart, and we did not understand why, when the bank account was bleak and the financial numbers did not add up, we sat around a table and I looked Chelsea in the eye and I said, do you really believe God called us down here four years ago? And she responded with an unhesitated yes. And she asked me the same question. And I said, without a shadow of a doubt. In that moment, we decided, we chose to believe. We didn't decide, we chose to believe in the faithfulness of our Lord. And he has been faithful. He knew all this before the foundations of the earth. And he uses people in incredible ways. And we have been so blessed by his provision. We still don't have all the answers, but we would rather surrender it all and be fully dependent on him and watch God work in miraculous ways instead of holding on to things in this world that we think we can control. Regardless, we are called to surrender because it is all his anyways. So as I close, ladies, if y'all want to come up, you can start ending with some songs. There's a story in the Bible that I think paints a picture of what Jesus is asking of us. And it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And it's where Jesus rises Lazarus from the dead. We find this in John chapter 11. And uh, we're going to start in verse 38. But I, will, I want to give you a little backstory here because Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. Actually, Lazarus and his two sisters were good friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary. And so what you see here is Jesus is off doing ministry and Lazarus gets deadly ill. And so the sisters send for Jesus saying, hey, your, your brother, your good friend Lazarus is dying. I need you to come back. Well, by the time Jesus gets back, Lazarus has died. Martha even says, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And so we're picking this up in verse 38. Jesus is standing outside of Lazarus' tomb. In verse 38, it says this. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. 
But because of the people that stand by, I said it, that they may believe thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. I want to close with three thoughts today, or three points. The first one I want you to notice is that Lazarus still has his grave clothes on when he comes out of the grave. And Jesus says to take them off. Maybe you're here today and Jesus has called you out of the grave, but you have neglected to take your grave clothes off. See, the grave clothes represents things of this world that we are still holding on to, the things that we are still trying to control. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your stuff. Maybe it's your hobbies, your marriage, your heart, soul, and mind. Maybe it's your whole life. Is today the day that you're willing to surrender it to him? The second thing I want you to notice is Jesus asked the disciples to help Lazarus take off his grave clothes. This is a picture of discipleship. This is the work of the church. This is what we are supposed to be doing. Discipleship is hard, folks. Doing life with others is hard. It can be tiresome. It can be frustrating. It can be messy. Sometimes it can even be nasty. Look at what Martha said. Lord, he stinketh. But that is the work that Jesus has commanded us to do as the body of Christ. Not just church leadership. Every single one of us that is called by the name of Jesus are called to go and make disciples. This is what we're supposed to do, to come alongside our brothers and sisters that Jesus has called out of the grave and begin helping strip away the grave clothes. But we do this with the utmost love and humility because the truth of the matter is we all were and still are in the process of taking off our own grave clothes. This process is called sanctification. Now, I know that there are some here today, undoubtedly there are some here today that keep others at arm's length because the devil whispers lies in your ear that tell you that if you get too close, they'll be able to smell the stench of your grave clothes. I'm here to tell you that doing life alone is deadly and God never intended for us to do life alone. Get involved with church. Get involved with a disciple group. Get involved with people that can begin helping you strip away your grave clothes and then you yourself begin helping strip other people of their grave clothes. Church, Let's be the city on the hill. Let's be the salt of the world. Let's be the light in the darkness that God has called us to be. And lastly, I want you to notice this, that Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave by name. Maybe you're here today and you're still in the grave and Jesus is calling for you by name. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Isaiah 43, and it starts off right off the gate with the Lord of hosts saying in verse one, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Verses I read earlier out of Romans, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. We are all sinners. Romans 6.23 says that because we have sinned, we deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. What does that mean, through Christ Jesus? That means that Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still in that grave, while we we're still in the muck and mire, Jesus died for us. He gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. 
He reconciled you back to the Father. He has redeemed you and now He is calling you by name. Do you hear Him this morning? Do you hear Him? Not merely on an intellectual level of acknowledgement of who He is and what He's done, but on a soul-changing level that when you hear that He died on the cross for you, somehow, some way, that counted for you. And you're willing to surrender it all and push it all on the center of the table and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to pray and close. But if you're here today and you still have your grave clothes on or you're still in the grave, which honestly is every single one of us in here in some form or fashion, the response is the same. Surrender. Surrender it all to him. Push it all to the center of the table. Go all in and say, God, I'm yours. What do you want from me? And what is my purpose in order to pursue and push forward your kingdom? So I'll pray. Lord, I thank you for your ever-present grace and mercy. I pray that you open the eyes to the areas of our lives that we have yet to surrender to you. Today, I pray that we no longer want to just be occupants of heaven, but Lord, we want to be participants in your kingdom. Today, I pray that we surrender all that we are, all that we have, every fiber of our being to you and submit it to your authority and leadership to be used for your glory and your glory own. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day, and we hope to see you next time.